Good morning. Welcome back to Driving Theology. Uh, this is Mike, and you will be with me for the next, uh, maybe longer than usual, because uh, I'm adding about 10 or 15 minutes to my normal drive, because I'm farther away than usual. Uh, but it is a very hot and sunny Wednesday afternoon here in Japan and uh, yeah instead of a morning thing I'm doing an afternoon thing today um, just like last week so I didn't post last week's because I didn't really like the way it turned out but anyway uh, sorry if there's a little bit of white noise in the background it's very hot I'm trying to cool down my car I'll, I'll turn the fan down in a bit um, so hopefully that won't bother you too much um, yeah, it's pretty hot here. So it's, uh, what, today is August 1st, I guess. Yeah, August 1st, 2018. And man, uh, got some great things to talk about today. Um, but uh, I want to follow up a little bit, maybe do a little bit of uh, pre, pre-talk. I a couple weeks ago, I posted a. Um, we'll turn this down a bit. It's just a little bit too noisy. A couple of weeks ago, I, I uh, posted this uh, um, hypothesis of mine that that basically says there might be some div- divine inspiration in task texts other than uh, just what we call what Christians call the Bible. There may be other places where uh, God has seen fit to reveal uh, information about himself um, that may uh, up until now have been hidden um, in texts such as ancient Buddhist texts or the Quran or the Book of Mormon or uh, any number of other uh, religious books, what we call sacred books or or holy books, uh, which are revered by people who follow different religions around the world. And I got to go to this, uh, got to go to, I, I, of course I wanted to go to this funeral um, this last Friday. I think it was last Friday. When was that last? No, it was last Sunday. Sorry. Uh, It was just three days ago. Uh, it was a, a funeral for an 81-year-old woman who died that I worked with for a long time for the last 11 years. And she was the principal of uh, a, a kindergarten, and she was a big uh, supporter of mine uh, as far as uh, my music and my English classes go here. And uh, I had a lot of respect for her and, and really just loved her. She was a, she was a very sweet uh, and smart uh, old lady, and she... Uh, died of cancer. She was diagnosed just uh, not all that long ago. I think back in November and, and it's now July. She died about a week ago. So, uh, yeah, she she really had only eight months uh, of life before the cancer took over and took over her. Uh, took her life from her. So, anyway, I got to go to her funeral and Christian funerals and Buddhist funerals, though they have many similarities, there are, there are also some 
obvious differences. Um, Japanese Buddhist funerals uh, are much longer, more involved. There are more steps, uh, you know, three or four days sometimes uh, to the entire process. Um, but I went to just kind of what, what we would call a memorial service. Uh, and in the memorial service, basically what happens is uh, the guests uh, sit down facing this kind of stage area and on, and on the stage is a picture of the deceased and usually flowers, depending on uh, the prestige uh, of the person. There's a larger venue, more flowers, or a smaller venue and less flowers. This was a big venue. Uh, with one of the most incredible flower arrangements I've ever seen. Uh, it looked like it was digitally printed. It was so precise and, and beautiful. Um, it's not something I would have considered possible um, that flowers could do. It was just, just amazingly put together. I, I can't imagine it cost any less than $10,000 uh, for this uh, for this flower arrangement to be done, it was just it was it was impressively beautiful uh, and just artistically done. It was it was amazing. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, so in the in the everybody's facing the stage, almost like a like a church service, except on the stage is the the flowers and and the deceased person, much much like how we do it in America at least, uh, except that there's no coffin. Uh, she's been cremated and, and I suppose somewhere on the stage are her ashes, but that may not necessarily be so. Um, and, and then we hear various uh, speeches from the family or for, from friends uh, and things like this, and they go through the they give a short biography of the deceased and, and they, they talk about the things that they were involved in and the people they were involved with and how many grandchildren or, you know, whatever. It really is case, case to case. Uh, and on the stage during this whole time is a uh, Buddhist uh, priest. In this case, it was a priestess, which I'd never seen uh, a female priestess uh, before and certainly had not been to a funeral where one was presided over by the priestess. And she is on the stage ringing uh, different bells and chanting different prayers, most of which we can't uh, really understand too much, but they're all for the benefit of the deceased person, I suppose, to find paradise or nirvana or, or what have you. Um, but uh, it was quite interesting this time because it was a female uh, priest. I had never seen that before, uh, and nor had my wife, who is Japanese. And uh, <clears throat> got to experience this, but it, for the first time, it didn't really necessarily feel pagan to me. It didn't feel it didn't feel as foreign as sometimes it does. And part of the reason is that I'm I'm starting to open up to the idea. Uh, that God has been laying his, his groundwork and revealing himself through all kinds of religions, even though the religions quite often go wrong, 
say the same thing about Judaism and Christianity, not, not just uh, the religions that Christians or Jews deem to be misguided, but I would say all religions go away from God at times, and that includes Christianity. Um, and so once I once I've put most religions in the same boat and and have kind of defined the goal of religion to lead us away from religion and, and straight uh, to the the side of Jesus, um, then all religions kind of become paganism in a sense, and therefore they all have. Uh, their uses, but they all also have their shortcomings, uh, and and so it, it was quite a, a nice and and, and uh, fitting memorial for uh, this person who I knew, and um, yeah, so it really didn't bother me, and at the end. All the people are, are asked to come forward and to burn a little incense and to say a prayer. Uh, and before, being being that I was uh, Christian, I kind of refused to burn the incense and would just kind of fold my hands uh, and say a prayer. Uh, but in this case, it really didn't bother me. It didn't it didn't bother my conscience to to burn a little incense. It it wasn't something that. Uh, seemed foreign or pagan to me. Uh, it was it was something that was done often. It was part of the 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 engaging of the senses that, that was even done in the, in the Jewish temple, in the Hebrew temple, uh, offering incense to God, offering a fragrance, and it and it helps involve your senses, whether you're um, praying or or you know whatever you're doing helps to make things memorable, I suppose. Uh, so, yeah, it really wasn't, for the first time maybe, a very big deal. I wasn't worried about what things looked like or whether I was doing something to displease God. In fact, I was released, uh, in a lot of ways, completely to just, to just absorb the experience to participate in a way uh, that was both realistic and congruent with my current beliefs on the matter. And, um, I'm not going to become Buddhist, but in the same way, I don't think I'll ever become quote-unquote Christian again either. <clears throat> um, I just want to follow Jesus. simple and uh, what's the word I'm looking for in as simple and genuine a way as I can and to me that that includes the recognizing that all religions uh, fail to bring us into the presence of God and that Jesus incarnate is proof that that God took that responsibility out of our hands and took on that responsibility himself to bring himself into our presence. Uh, and once he did that, uh, I think it's easy to realize uh, 
that what we do is quite insignificant. process, right? Our, our part in the process is, is insignificant uh, in comparison to what Jesus is doing and has done in that process. And that is uh, loving us and accepting us, uh, rooting for us, and he is far from being displeased with us. Uh, he may be sad at times that, that we're not uh, able to overcome uh, certain things in the world, or I know that he's not happy with uh, the suffering of the innocent, for example. Um, but at the same time, he's done everything, uh, everything possible. And with him, all things are possible, but he's done everything possible uh, to prepare for us a place and to put us at ease in this world because he's taking care of the next world uh, and yeah so that the reality of that uh, I hope will sink in more and more and that, and that people will notice uh, in my life uh, that I am at ease with uh, what Jesus has done in my place in all of this. And, and I wish that for everybody else. So, all right, next, uh, on to the next topic. So, uh, I want to talk about hell. Uh, on the Facebook this morning, I woke up early. <sighs> Sorry, a long morning already. Uh, I woke up early and, uh, got online and saw that uh, Jacob uh, Wright, a, a guy, a young thinker, uh, very creative guy that I follow on Facebook, had written a thing about hell and how the, the, the uh, that hell is not a, a doctrine found in the Old Testament nor does it mean what we think it means when we read it in the New Testament. The idea of, of a uh, eternal place of fire and torment where the wicked will be tormented uh, forever. Eternal consci conscious torment, or ECT uh, as it's called. And he talks about how this doesn't exist, this, this doesn't exist in the Bible, and, and that what we, where we see it in the Bible is from our uh, misunderstanding uh, or actually the things that have come into our uh, the things that have caused us to see it in the Bible are from the outside not from the inside in other words they're not internal sources in the Bible they are external uh, sources uh, of the Bible uh, or from the Bible uh, and that those ideas are not either Jewish nor Christian, but rather Greek and pagan in origin. Uh, and I, I believe that. I, I completely support this idea. It's come a long, it's been a long time uh, for me to get to this point. 
but basically it started back in probably 2011 or 12 uh, with a conversation with a friend of mine, Jonathan Straker, who's uh, a Canadian uh, missionary. He's a, well, I guess he's a music minister right now in Canada, uh, but he, he was a uh, missionary and preacher here in Japan for many years. And he just put into my mind the idea of uh, annihilation uh, as a biblically supported doctrine to eternal conscious torment. Uh, and once that got into my ear and I realized that there were other people who I respected who were had studied um, and who would be in the place to have an informed opinion on the matter, actually didn't believe in eternal conscious torment. Which was a huge surprise to me. Um, really, really big. Uh, and from there, once I looked into it and I realized that, that there were other ways to look at um, <clears throat> the state of people who don't accept Jesus, uh, then that has led me actually to a place that I like to call uh, hopeful universalists. In other words, I am hopeful that uh, Jesus will save everybody in this life or the next. Uh, and and actually my, my opinion on that, uh, my stance on that uh, subject has probably gotten even stronger uh, after today. Uh, and maybe I'll, I'll try to post some of the scriptures that were um, posted in support of this idea. Uh, but suffice it to say, there are 20 or so scriptures that talk about um, everybody being saved. One of which is, uh, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, right? This is one that that happens in a couple places in the Bible. One's in Isaiah, and I think the other one uh, maybe in Revelation. I can't remember, but uh, it's probably not Revelation. Uh, it's probably Paul. Uh, but, but basically the idea is that everybody will confess Jesus is Lord, right? Uh, now, some of the things that come in conflict conflict with this is, for example, when Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, but see, that that idea of kingdom of heaven has become heaven to a lot of people. So they think that kingdom of heaven means heaven. In other words, uh, it's an eschatological statement that at the end of times, just because you call me your Lord doesn't mean that I will save you. Uh, we assume that that's what that's talking about. But actually, when you look at what the kingdom of God is, and when Jesus says the kingdom of God is among us, and it's, you know, he is ushered in the kingdom of God already, you realize that the kingdom of God has been here since Jesus walked the earth uh, in his human body, and since he did his ministry, uh, that the kingdom of God came with Jesus, and it's been here ever since. And so just because... Uh, now today we've got um, many what we call nominal Christians, people who call Jesus Lord but live uh, not 
obeying him, his commandments. In other words, not not walking as he walked, not loving who he loved, uh, not giving him really any thought except on a Sunday morning. There are a lot of Christians uh, who live that way, uh, who call themselves disciples of Jesus, and yet uh, don't know Jesus whatsoever. They call him Lord, and yet they have not entered into his kingdom, into the realities of the kingdom. Uh, and furthermore, they're not bringing the realities of the kingdom into their context, into their world. And so not, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God is a statement that says, just because you identify yourself with Christ does not mean that you will be a part of the kingdom, that you will be a part of the healing and reconciliation that Jesus longs to bring into creation, right? And I think we, this is very much what we see today in the world, right? We see we see a world of people who, who call themselves Christians and yet live exactly like the rest of the world does, selfishly uh, and for personal gain, uh, and are dishonest, uh, are hateful and mean and cruel. And so Jesus was, was prophesying this situation. He knew that this would come, there would come a day when people would be called by his name and yet would, would live the opposite, would live in an opposite way, would live uh, selfish, uh, selfish and self-serving lives. And so, anyway, that's how I now read that, that statement. Uh, but this, this prophecy that every knee, knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord is a, is a much uh, broader uh, term that's repeated throughout Scripture. And this is, like I said, this is one of the many, many, many Scriptures that seem to indicate that there will be a universal recognition of the Lordship of Christ. Uh, now the the uh, the problems or the the scriptures that that people claim point away from that usually has to do with the word eternal or the word punishment, the word eternal or punishment, and the word eternal that they are using there is I know I I noise I think I noise. Aeneos. Uh, I, I think it's Aeneos, which is a Greek term uh, that has been translated for many, many years as eternal or everlasting or uh, forever. But the original meaning of Aeneos or Aeneos, I don't remember exactly, uh, is something that's quite different. It, seems to mean the age to come or uh, something that has to do with otherworldly, right? Uh, the reality on this world that is from the other world, for example. Um, it doesn't have to do with foreverness, right? Or eternity. Uh, and so when Jesus says, I grant you eternal life, 
What it means is he is granting life that is otherworldly. It's from the other realm. It's from the, the heavenly realm. The, the life that we will be granted uh, is something more than the life that we experience here on earth at this time. Right? The life that we, we are given uh, through Jesus is a life that is that is supernatural. Supernatural life. It's otherworldly life. It's it's uh, it's it's life from the age to come. And, and what that would mean is the age to come when heaven uh, we have a new heaven earth. Basically, the, the, what happens uh, at the end of time. Uh, and so there is a lot in the Bible to to support universality. And what's more is that that the Greek Orthodox Church, okay, the Orth the Greek Orthodox, they they have a much more robust theology that that go toward goes toward universality, right? Uh, universal uh, universal salvation. Uh, whereas the Catholics, which Catholic means universal, which is so ironic. They're the ones that have created this theology of hell that then went into people like Calvin and Luther and has stayed with uh, Protestantism and evangelicalism and fundamentalism up to this day. This idea that there's uh, a horned uh, being in hell with a pitchfork named Satan who uh, is tormenting people day and night uh, for eternity and if you don't get in line you're going to be with him for ever for eternity right this came through Catholicism uh, and it was it was defined or maybe compiled by Dante in Dante's inferno inferno is the Italian word for hell and so Dante came up with this his idea of hell and the torments that would be going on in the many levels of hell um, and this crept into mainstream Catholicism to where today you have uh, you have I don't know half well it's way more than half of the Christian world who believes in this eternal conscious torment by fire uh, for those who don't belong to Jesus, for either the, the not baptized or the people who didn't say the sinner's prayer or however you define, uh, however you choose to define salvation. Uh, this idea came through the Catholic Church. So the universal church does not believe in universality, uh, universal salvation, which is interesting. Um, by the way, nothing, nothing anymore or, you know, against or for the Catholic Church, uh, in comparison with, with the other, uh, Protestants, denominations, uh, and Eastern Orthodoxy. I think we still all have a lo a long way to go, uh, and we're only dealing with one subject in this case. Um, but, you know, just to, just to be clear many of the early father, fathers were universalists. Um, many of the earliest writers that are post what we call the apostolic age uh, 
least that's what history would call it. Uh, but, you know, in the in the second, third, fourth centuries, there were many universalists. Uh, and in fact, as I said, until Dante's Inferno came about, uh, really, that picture of hell didn't even exist for the first, I don't know, fourteen or fifteen hundred years of Christianity. Uh, and so it's been kind of. Uh, superimposed uh, onto the Bible at quite a late date if you think about it and to the point to where now it dominates theology and it's added into this idea that God is love uh, this idea that God is somebody who should be feared right uh, and this is not something that originally uh, was part of Jesus' plan, right? Um, uh, and there's a lot more that, you know, th this is a very, very deep rabbit hole uh, because there's a lot of deconstruction that has to go on uh, for you to get to this point. Uh, but I would encourage you and everyone to think about the possibility that what you think you believe some of your your closest hell beliefs might be originally from extra biblical sources right sources outside of scripture and that be, because they have infiltrated scripture they have actually changed the way you look at, at scripture for example if you've got this lens of Dante's Inferno as you read scripture, you will see what you think supports that preconceived belief. You will see that come to the surface. But if I tell you, and you and you have a, a lens of God is love, uh, that God is for you, that God is pleased with you because of Jesus. Uh, in fact, Jesus is God, but, but that God is God loves you, that God is pleased with you. Jesus is pleased with you and there's nothing you can do to to take away his favor then as you read the Bible you will see that come forward and the other things will fall to the wayside so your your preconceived notions of what you are supposed to find uh, or, or what you read in the your preconceived notions change scripture right they change your experience of reading holy texts uh, and so this morning this this post just went on and on because it is a very contentious issue uh, amongst Christians uh, the nature of hell right um, and the funny thing is become it kind of becomes its own hell because of the way people treat each other as they talk about this subject um, but I would say the the first step that I think everybody uh, should do from time to time, not not just once in your life, but from time to time, would be to try to, to drop all of our preconceived notions uh, and to look as innocently and purely on Jesus as possible and allow his beauty and his goodness and his love uh, to stand 
before you as nakedly as possible and to start over rebuilding your theology around that truth. Uh, and we may have to do this from time to time because things come into our, uh, things seep into our uh, beliefs unannounced and, and under the radar quite easily. Um, greed, for example. It's an easy thing that can come in, that can come in very slowly and, and, and before you realize it, you're making decisions uh, based on money instead of based on better things. And so you need to you need to stand before uh, Jesus from time to time and look squarely on Him and get to know Him uh, in as simple terms as as you can muster uh, and start there to look on His beauty to contemplate His His perfection and His goodness to contemplate the the amount. Of love that he has for you and to meditate on that you know of all the bad things that we do in our life over over the 70 or 80 years that we are given on average don't mean anything to him not all of them stacked up in one place not all of them strewn over time they don't mean anything to him. He's taking care of everything. And if we don't get it in this lifetime, if for some reason it doesn't take with us in this lifetime, that for whatever reason we are kept in the dark about his his love, beauty, and goodness, then I believe he will use the Aeneos, the other world, uh, the time after this one, the age to come. I believe he'll use that age and that time to continue to try to lure us. Lure us is a bad word. To to woo us, uh, to influence us, to love us into a better relationship with him. I I think putting this constraint of these 80 years to determine eternity is an incredibly unhealthy thing for us to do. And it doesn't really yield any benefits. To use hell uh, as, as a fear, to use eternal punishment uh, to, to scare us into being better, uh, the results are just they're just not good. They're not positive. Fear is not a way to bring people into righteousness. It just doesn't work. And if it does work, it'll fail. Love is the only transforming, and I mean transforming on the heart level. The love of Christ is the only heart-transforming power in the universe. It's the only one. So allowing his love to freely flow into us and accepting that love 
will naturally have consequences. Good consequences. Um, yeah, so... So what the hell, right? <laughs> should make us, well, it should, shouldn't make us, but it probably will make some of us, if we come to the realization that, that hell is a false doctrine, it should make us, or probably will make some of us angry, but we need to be careful with that as well. I don't think people purposely uh, have duped us into having, into believing in the doctrine of eternal conscious torment, or even annihilation. Um, personally, I'm, I don't call myself a universalist, but a hopeful universalist, because I still think it might be possible that some people, no matter what Jesus does in this life or in the afterlife, may still reject him. And I don't know why they would do that. Um, there may be some kind of a A line. There may be some kind of a line where people will choose annihilation over eternal bliss with Christ, um, or the bliss of the age to come, or whatever you want to call it. But I can't imagine that. One word I didn't talk very much about was the word punishment. Uh, interestingly enough, the word punishment, I'm not sure what it is in Greek, but the word we translate as punishment is actually discipline or pruning usually in Greek. And the idea is, is, is to make better, to purify, to, uh, to, to cut away in order to cause growth, right? That's the idea of pruning. Uh, to, to cut off the dead or the diseased part in order to bring about good fruit, right? It's for the health. Um, not unlike our cutting of fingernails and toenails, for example, or our hair. You know, sometimes you, you cut away parts uh, for a good reason, whether it's beauty or whatever. Uh, and probably the, the whole reason that pruning is necessary for us is because uh, of the corruption that came into the world, whereas we became suspicious of God, and we gave authority to Satan. And we thought of God as someone to be feared, instead of someone who loves us unconditionally. <clears throat> and so... Uh, I'm going to probably leave it there here pretty soon. I'm getting close to my destination, but I think I've probably said all I need to. Uh, so I encourage you all, and I need to do this as well, uh, to look, look into these scriptures where we think, or some people tell us, it's talking about uh, eternal torment. And look into the Greek words and find out what those Greek words meant, especially to Second Temple Judaism, uh, Second Temple Jews, uh, people in the time of Christ, 
uh, or or when the when these books were written, and do some homework on these terms, uh, because we may just find out that that what people are saying is eternal torment uh, is actually uh, improvement to come, pruning pruning in the age to come, right? Um, the idea of fire, if it's there, is a, uh, a refining fire, a fire that, that burns away the, uh, what do you call it, slag, uh, in order to reveal the pure ore. Um, fire is a refining, fire has a refining, uh, an improving, power as opposed to a tormenting power and that's a huge difference to me um, it's, it's not enough for me to tell you to believe it uh, all I can tell you is that this is what I believe right now uh, and it's it's been a long time it's been a long time for me to get here uh, and I hope that you will intentionally uh, dismantle your belief system in a way that purifies it and reveals the eternal, beautiful, lovely Jesus. Uh, and that's what I hope for you, and that's what I hope to attain someday. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> So thank you for listening and uh, I'm going to sign off. You guys have a wonderful week. Bye-bye.